0: And you're listening to A little, little Too Quiet. It's been a minute since I've done a podcast, Instagram. It's, it's been it's <laughs>
1: been well
0: Yeah well, hold on.
1: Was it perhaps last year?
0: It was last year, but it was like it's been weeks. Yeah. Sorry, you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends at the Ferndale Library. I know how to do these intros. How are you, Mary Graham?
1: I'm doing really well, Jeff. I just got back from vacation.
0: It's so good to see you.
1: So uh, I had a nice little brain break. And I got up this morning and I was like, do I want to leave my cat? I do not. Do I want to see the people I work with? I do because I work with the best people. I know. So I overcame that internal struggle and I I made my thermos of coffee and here I am waiting through so many emails, but (laughs) delighted, delighted to be back and refreshed.
0: Back and refreshed for another set of our podcast where we talk about intellectual freedoms if you're a regular listener which
1: man you need to be refreshed for because <laughs> woof
0: i think we've done about five or six or seven of these have really lost count but hopefully you've been a dedicated listener who has heard us mention this phrase intellectual freedoms more than once on this podcast and i think r- right after the very most recent episode of these that we did right after it Mm -hmm. mary graham and i traveled west to kalamazoo uh, to a conference statewide conference the michigan library association annual conference and we got up in front of people and
1: (laughs) we were two theater kids fun fact listener if you poll a lot of your friendly local library workers especially if they work in children's services you will find a lot of former theater kids oh, and yes. the energy put off by my and jeff's presentation was extremely theater kid
0: yeah and i was i was thriving i was just feeding off of it yeah we were having a great time we were having a great time but that is compliments to my partner here i really appreciate You and your energy, Mary Graham, and also just everything that you've uh, brought to these podcasts, too, especially about intellectual freedoms. For anyone who's just hearing us talk about this for the first time, Mary Graham, could you just give them a little bit of an intro about what that concept means? Oh, yeah, of course. And why libraries care about it?
1: uh, It's only a cornerstone of a free society. So uh, intellectual freedom uh, is the right that all people have to read but also interact in other ways beyond reading with a uh, variety of viewpoints on a variety of topics uh and when i say a variety i mean like all of them basically yeah. not just like just not just like three or five mm-hmm. like all of them um and part of the mandate of public libraries uh and to an extent public school libraries uh because as uh, famously put forward in tinker versus des moines uh Students do not leave their First Amendment rights at the school gate. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the the main parts of, of the mandate of these public libraries is to foster intellectual freedom. And so that is why we collect materials on a huge variety of subjects from a huge variety of viewpoints. Yeah, And there sure are some people out there that this makes them mad.
0: Yeah, and so you kind of just hear bits and pieces of this coming through the news every other week. I think if you're in library world, you probably hear about it every other day, but you do hear it in the headlines. It was, what was it, maybe September, October, November, it was revealed that 11 people were responsible for thousands. of like the vast
1: majority of challenges.
0: 11 people were responsible for more than 60% of the challenges in the country
1: just which 11
0: people and their little angry desktop computers is
1: an ongoing trend i very much recommend um the nonfiction book algorithms of oppression which yeah. i believe covers this in part um and i'm so sorry that i can't remember the author's name right now um, it'll be in the show notes but also if you have watched the multi-part Harry and Meghan documentary which I did not plan to watch all in one go but absolutely <laughs> did. Um they also talk about this like they talk about the vast majority of people on Twitter who were saying horribly racist things about Meghan Markle were like again but a handful of people on Twitter um like fostering this yeah. terrible environment. Yeah. So uh it's part of the playbook but yeah um anti-intellectual freedom and and pro-censorship has been I would say, the major moral panic in the United States of the past two years.
0: That's right. And so the gist, I guess, of our presentation in October too, when we went to Kalamazoo for our little conference, was we were kind of hoping to help libraries, which is what we've been trying to do here on the podcast, because we're talking to you, dear listener and dear library patron, helping other libraries kind of communicate the, <laughs> I almost said severity, I guess I should say severity, of the yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah to their own patrons you know kind of beyond library speak like c- communicate the gravity of the, the situation what's at stake really
1: and also let their patrons know what they can do
0: let their patrons know what they can do and also not have it be so gloomy and so doomy, mm-hmm. uh if at all possible and also kind of to expand upon that it's like why is your librarian in a fight you know why is your librarian fighting censorship mm-hmm because that's part of the job Mm -hmm. yep and that is what we've also kind of always tried to do on this podcast is to let you know that there's more to this job than wearing cat eye glasses and shushing people
1: i Uh, do neither of those things do
0: neither of those things right which is the preconception right and i yeah i mean not to toot our own horn but it was I thought it was a really worthwhile presentation. People were
1: very nice to us at that presentation. During the uh, questions section, uh, most people gave the only acceptable form of more of a comment than a question, which is just that they, you know, told us that they were already familiar with the library and everything we've been doing and that they were big fans. And that was very kind. And it was neat to... uh, to talk to people from over this all over the state—that's the joy of the state conference. Yeah. Um. And, uh, including from people who you know they would say what library they were working at, and we would right. be like, whoo, right. How are you holding up? Right. Like right. you know, it's. I mean, again, we've we've talked about we've been relatively fortunate at Ferndale that our our problems have been there but have been few and far between and we have an extremely supportive community who as soon as those problems go public go how many copies of that book do you need how you can know, I help? how can i help yes um so uh we have not been stuck in anything protracted right that has not been the case
0: right unfortunately
1: we, with many libraries across the state
0: right we've been lucky but we also have been in the headlines for behaviors connected to this uh terrible terrible trend and yeah just to go back about tooting my own horn it wasn't so much that I was like gosh wow we're great it was more like the longer I worked on this presentation with Mary Graham the more I realized this is big
1: it is like
0: we're we're humbly presenting on it but like this is a big topic yep and there's a lot to unpack
1: yes
0: (laughs) and i was like wow this is this is like an important thing that we're talking about yeah so i took it very seriously despite how you know we were we were were very energetic and we were trying to break the tension and we were kind of like you know just being a little quippy within reason but like yeah i I took it very seriously it was a big deal
1: i did an entire semester class on intellectual freedom in graduate school and Mm -hmm. I mean, you could do... We could have done four semesters of it. Um, Because there's so many directions you can take it in. We talked about privacy rights. We talked about hate speech. We talked about the law. Like, that class really did make me want to take a class not on law librarianship, but on the law in libraries. Yeah. Um, Especially public libraries, because I I did find it fascinating. Um, I'm a huge privacy nut. Ron Swanson, no grid, no grid. Right. Um, And something that I... Uh, but is one of my favorite parts of my job is being Mm -hmm. like, how can I keep other people out of your business? Um,
0: yeah, I used to work at the circulation desk and we couldn't just more often than not, this is what you would counter. You couldn't reveal to even you, Mary Graham, what you had checked out
1: because we've deleted it. Yeah.
0: And then I would say they might say why, and I would say because of the library privacy act. Which may or may not sound like a thing I just made up in the back of my head yeah, and gave it, you. It
1: is real. But it and is a real thing. It is also tied to the history of librarians resisting the Patriot Act. Right. Um, and the quippy thing that I like to say is that uh, deleting the records of things you have checked out and then brought back um, is easier than the FBI showing up saying, mm-hmm. hey, what has this person been checking out? Us setting the documents on fire in front of them and then saying, sorry, officer, yeah. I'm afraid I can't find it. <laughs> um, it's just faster right, right. to be like, we don't keep those. Right. Um, and and a lot of people I do find, okay, privacy soapbox, mm-hmm, here we go, mm-hmm. you know, is that people are like, oh, I have nothing to hide. And it's not about not having anything to hide. Mm-hmm. It's about just you have, you quite literally have the right to live your life unobserved. And as we live in more and more of an encroaching surveillance, not just surveillance state, but surveillance everything, um, that gets harder and harder, and right. the library is one of the last places, you know, where not only are those rights protected and enforced, but we tell people that they have them. Right. Like, it's very important to me. I actually wrote my final paper for that intellectual freedom class on the privacy rights of minors in public mm-hmm. libraries because I knew I wanted to work with children, mm-hmm. and I will tell. I think I'm often the first person who tells them, you know, if they have their own card and their parent has a question on it, I'm like, you need to bring your child over here because they're the only person I can discuss this card with. Right. Um that makes me very happy. Yeah. So
0: And so we delivered this presentation and lots of people came up and said, you know, hello. And one of them happened to be uh his name is Matthew Lawrence and he was like, Hey, uh <laughs> I heard you guys uh mention the Patmos Library. Yeah. Uh which is in, in Jamestown Jamestown
1: Township. Uh,
0: Way over okay. on the west side of Michigan. I'm yep. holding up my palm. Even you, though can't you can't see, see but it. we're
1: both doing the classic Michigan hand map kind move. Of almost
0: to that area where Michigan is kind of sitting on top of that Indiana, Illinois, right at, the, right, you know, just, you know, you've got the mitten map. It's over there. Patmos Library obviously had quite a dramatic last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matthew Lawrence is actually at the Herrick District Library. He is the former director of Patmos Library. But frankly, a also passionate defender of intellectual freedoms. And he was like, "Hey, great, great presentation. You guys mentioned you had a podcast during your presentation. If you ever want me to come on, I'd be happy to. and we're gonna we're gonna have him on the podcast. So stay tuned for that. presentation that we did previously
1: at, on the west wing
0: at, at uh, mla the the michigan library association annual conference and you came up and said uh hello and uh you were so nice to say uh i'd love to be on your podcast one day and we <laughs> we clearly help held you to it um i don't know why i was compelled to say why why would you give us such an opening matthew you knew we would take that
2: <laughs> what that's absolutely okay i'm glad to glad to talk about it it's a very unique situation that occurred uh, yes. and I'm more than happy to talk about
0: it. Well, we're going to get to that, but could you just chit chat with us a little bit about yourself? Like how'd you get into the library world? How'd, how'd you yeah. start?
2: Yeah. So I, uh, originally got into libraries, um, cause I wanted to be an archivist. So I went to Grand Valley for my undergrad, um, I originally like I wanted to teach and then I realized I did not want to be a teacher. So then I started to like just study history. Um, and then I eventually started working in the archives on campus there. And I really enjoyed it and decided that that was kind of the career that I wanted to do. Um, so I started attending graduate school. I went to Dominican University. And while I was there, I started a job at Patmos Library and once i started kind of working more in a public facing role i realized that i really enjoyed talking to people when i worked at the grand valley archives i loved it but it was like a lot of it was very separate it was um a lot of like basement work like i worked in basement and it was kind of like I was gonna say no windows. Yeah, and it was funny because like I worked, um, I worked there as kind of an intern for a little bit before I was a a research assistant. But when I worked there as an intern, I didn't realize that there was a second person downstairs with me (laughs) until a few weeks later because both of us just like never saw each other. It was like completely dead quiet down there. That's spooky. Yeah, it was like, they showed me where her office was and I was like, she's been here the entire time, all right. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I, I still really have a passion for like archival work and stuff and that was kind of like what I got hired at Atmos to do is that they wanted, they were looking for someone to do like local history as well as like adult services um, but once I started doing that public facing role I realized that that's kind of more what I'm called to do um, so then I kind of adjusted out of just strictly like archival electives and stuff when I was at Dominican to be more um, more broad and more like public service work. And then that's when I started working at, um, I mean, after after Patmos and everything, I got a job at Herrick District Library as a public service librarian. So now it's kind of something I do full time.
0: After Patmos and everything. Uh <laughs> you know why don't we just hate to put you on the spot too mary Graham? how like and share with matt with matthew here how did you get into libraries maybe our listeners want to know too
1: so i
0: what's your road here
1: went to wayne state for undergrad i'm from detroit in the east side of the state and did not see a reason to leave um and i knew i wanted to be an english major uh because I was like, ooh, you read books and then they give you course credit for that. That sounds sweet. But I knew that I did not want to be a teacher also because Mm -hmm. I was too close to all of my English teachers in high school and I saw the stacks of paper that they would take home. And also I saw some of my classmates that they had to teach. And I was like, no, I'm I'm (laughs) not doing that. that. (laughs) I'm not getting up at 6 a.m. anymore. Um, So I started to think about like other, like, you know, that Avenue Q song, what can you do with a BA in English? It turns out nearly anything, but I decided to, to uh, be a librarian and I had been uh, a camp counselor both for day camps and sleepaway camps and I knew I liked working with kids Um, and I liked reading children's literature and I was like well if I get a job working with kids and children's literature I don't have to stop reading children's literature and again you read books not necessarily on the job Mm -hmm. but you talk about books and you do arts and crafts and they pay you for it so Mm -hmm. um So I went to uh, Simmons University out in Boston for my graduate degree and then came back. Uh, and got a job here, and I did. I there were a ton of archivists at Simmons, and I knew one or two people who thought that they were going to do public librarianship, and then took like a cataloging class, and they were like, "Never mind, leave me with Mark Records, so I never have to speak to another person again." And so it's nice to hear like the flip side of that, of like, mm-hmm. where did the people where go? Where did the people
0: go? <laughs> where are the yeah, windows? I that,
2: that's so, exactly what it was too.
1: Yeah, and I mean, my I like desk work is one of my favorite parts of the day. I love sitting at a desk and people coming up and asking me things. Um, So yeah, we definitely, we share that.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to ask a question that I don't want answered yet. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to be radical and ask an interruptory question. But I would love to hear from both of you uh, when you, your, your, your formative moments of when you realized just how important libraries are, just how valuable they are kind of that whole, Oh, I didn't realize that we are uh, stewards and guardians of intellectual freedoms. We'll get to that, but Matthew, we do just have to ask like, what the hell happened? What what was your view of things over there in Patmos? What was that experience like for you? And I guess share, if no one has ever really heard of it, tell them what happened.
2: Yeah, so I worked as uh a- I had the kind of funny role title of being an adult librarian and you know, my wife always thought it was funny because she asked if there was like oh. a kid librarian I was like yeah but they're right. like the youth service librarian and not a child Right. But, um, I worked there for about probably eight months prior to when things started to get a little ugly um, in, in my time there um, leading up to the departure of the the previous director um i just did a lot of it was a lot of desk work it was a lot of i did programming i did um i got presenters to come in every so often to do things but sometime around it probably would have been sometime around february of 2022 um things things started to change there a little bit there started to be some um some kind of rumblings at what used to be unattended board meetings i was the only person that was there as part of the public um because i didn't have to be there i enjoyed seeing the process of it and i enjoyed kind of having a dialogue with the board um and being able to like answer questions if they had any questions otherwise i would be the only person that was there and in like one instance my wife was there with me but that started the change kind of come. I think it was around February of 22 when people were um, made aware of the book "Gender Queer" that was on our shelves. Um, it was in the it was in the adult section on our shelves. So it was an adult nonfiction. Um, Interesting. And that was when things started to get a little rough. Uh, people, well, not a little rough. It was when things got rough. Yeah. Um, at that time what used to be quiet board meetings started to quickly devolve into shouting matches accusations of pedophilia um accusations of like grooming um and just a lot of very loaded culture war type type words um and eventually i mean that was wearing on everyone but eventually um people started to come in at least on one occasion, someone came in actively looking for like a confrontation, um, with, with the director at that time, I encountered people asking about my sexuality as though it was just a regular conversation. Um, and then kind of accusing me of being gay and having some kind of agenda for why I want these books on the shelf. But, uh, eventually our our director at that time um found found new employment and i became the interim director at that time i got kind of thrown straight into that as well um it was the stuff that she was experiencing um herself as the director and then as the interim director i was kind of the face of that during the board meetings so uh Things got, yeah, things got really ugly. Ugh! Um, yikes! I was there as interim director for about three and a half, probably about four months. Um, I actually wanted to have the directorship position there because I thought that there was something. I mean, I, I thought there was something noble about it. Um, about about trying to help, and that uh, I later found that. I mean, for one reason, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a gainful um, it wasn't something I'd have been able to do to support, to support my family. Um, but I think that it also just wasn't a healthy place for me to work at.
1: I think that's something that librarians often in this, of course, is like a very clear cut extreme example. Like we run up against that, right. Of like, yeah, it is this, you know, noble like jeff loves to talk all the time about you know we're providing information to the public and things like that and also like in that case standing up for something that is like this is a book people like you do not have Mm. to choose to read the book and please get off the internet and touch grass is what i would like to say to a lot of people but but like you know if you can't if you can't live on the wage you can't live on the wage and also you have to think about yourself um and it's not you know it's not bad or selfish to think like Oh, I don't want to, you know, be roiled with anxiety going into work every day. Right, that's a completely normal thing to to, you know, not want.
2: I think that that was what was shocking to me was the lack of dialogue. Um, when I was at these board meetings, people didn't. I hung out after the board meetings, and I kind of there were a handful of people that would come up to me and be like, "Hey, I want you to understand that this isn't like a personal thing. There's nothing like that we feel, or at least that person that was talking to me." Um, who was definitely one of the more moderates of the people that um, that would come to those board meetings. He came up to me and kind of was like, hey, I just, I disagree with this, but I want you to know that this isn't something that I'm holding you personally accountable for. It's just something that I want to talk about here. But that was, I think that that of the three or four board meetings that I attended as the, as the interim director, I think that happened once. Um, and these were board meetings that would be attended by what used to be just me um, eventually ballooned to 50 50 plus people. Um, And I think I can count on one hand the amount of time someone actually came up to me after the board meeting to kind of have a dialogue like that. And I think that that was what was also upsetting and kind of changed my opinion on what my position is there was that it was less I'm in a position to enact, or I'm in a position to have this dialogue and kind of advocate on behalf of both myself and my staff, as well as the library as a whole. And it turned into more of a, they don't want to hear what I have to say. They just want to say what they have to say and be done with it, or be very, very public and very, very vocal about what it is that they have to say, but not have a dialogue about it.
0: I'm trying to not say the word mob rule. Uh, in that kind of, it's very upsetting. Uh, I did want to get back to that for me personally. I, I've been working in libraries for so long and I've talked about this on the podcast. So I've seen banned books. We come and go. And I was like, oh, right. Because people thought Slaughterhouse-Five was uh kind of radical. They didn't want that in schools. All right. So we're going to read it here. But it really didn't start to be driven home for me until the My Right to Read campaign really ramped up and Mary Graham started doing these podcast episodes. And so that's when it hit me. For you two, going through library school, working in libraries as librarians, um, was and even you, for you, Matthew, was it, were, were there any other moments where this started really becoming clear to you how, how big the mission of a library really is?
1: Things like that, Mary Graham? Um, well, I made the firm decision to go to library school the day after the twenty sixteen election. Oh yeah. Um, I it had been like in the back of my mind of like maybe this is what I'll do after undergrad, and then the twenty sixteen election happened, and I was like, "Welp, we are suddenly going to need even more people who like work at telling factual, factual information, information from crap." Um, and I was like, "I can be one of those people." <laughs> and then when I was in library school, I took an intellectual freedom class. Oh, cool. Um, which was fabulous and very. Like we just went in depth in so many different facets of that mm-hmm. um, and like research into hate speech. And how much does the regulation of hate speech actually like functionally work? Like mm-hmm. we studied the laws in other countries and, and things like that. Um, I wrote my final paper on the privacy rights of minors in <laughs> public libraries. Um, Ron
0: Swanson.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do like to joke that all of those uh Parks and Recreation episodes where Ron is like, "No grid," are secretly about me. I'm like, they don't need to know that. It's too much information. Um, so I think that I kind of had an awareness of it going in, yeah. And then, so I graduated from library school in May of 2020. Um, a great time to be searching for a job at a public <laughs> institution. Um, but when I started working here in August of 2021. It's not that I, like, felt like, oh something's on the horizon, but I was kind of looking around going, if something did happen, where would it come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a, a particular organization in Ferndale, uh, although I've heard they're going to have to sell their office building. We've heard um, that too, yep. That, that I sort of had in the back of my mind about, like, well, it would probably be them. Um, and then... In June of 2023, I was right, um, and so it's not something that I thought I was going to like see this much of when I got. You know, like I wasn't like, I'm going to library school to join the the
0: the, the fight, fight. for
1: banned books. I thought I was going to library school to join the fight against fake news, which sure. is also true. Sure. Um, but uh, but I mean, yeah, I think when everything kind of like when I started to see. Like the headlines about Patmos and things like that. I was, I was, it was one of those moments of like, oh, library school did prepare me for this, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, Matthew, how do you feel about that? Like the entire state of Michigan, if not most of the nation, was kind of like looking in your direction. You were at ground zero for this kind of thing. Uh, but before you answer that, did everything Mary Graham just expounded upon, did. Was that stuff you had already picked up on before you were at Ground Zero or was the experience of it really what drove home the importance of libraries protecting intellectual freedoms?
2: I think that so I went into to libraries because I wanted to help people um, and I, I had I have a, a great interest in like media studies and like information literacy and those types of skills. So what i was looking for let me say that when i went to school this like when i went to library school this wasn't something that was necessarily on the forefront when i was there um even graduating in so i graduated in april 2022 and when all of this stuff started to happen um, yeah when all of this stuff started to happen in like earlier that year that was the first time I really encountered that. I mean, we talked about it a little bit during school, where it's like these are the things that have happened in the past. People have found books objectionable, um, and it's our right to ensure that even if something is offensive to some person, that they that they have the right to read it. Someone else has the right to read it. Nobody gets to decide what is and what isn't kind of acceptable when it comes to things that are legally published. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of talked about more in the abstract. So it was it was. It wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily prepared for it, but it was something that was definitely like a seed that was planted. Like I knew that things happened in the past. Um, I, a nearby uh, nearby town of Zeeland, um, Zeeland, Michigan was kind of on the forefront of the schools that didn't want Harry Potter um, in the, the school libraries when those first came out and kind of required, I think they required like a parent signature, or some type of adult consent um so it was something that i knew happened but it was like i mean at that time i'd have been pretty young um and definitely not in school so i knew that it happened in the past but i did this was the first time that i ever saw like a tangible example of what that looked like and i think that it was it was shocking to me in as much that it wasn't it was less about the books themselves and more about um a certain rage against the entire like an entire power structure that these people that wanted these books banned um kind of interpreted in the world and i think that, that was the other thing about it too is that when we got these book complaints the the complaints themselves would be for rather like petty stuff um i I was eventually told don't, don't even like, like not don't review the books, but don't defend each specific point of a book. Just defend the fact that someone has the right to read it, which I think is fantastic advice because what was happening was that I was getting these complaints about very specific things. Like I can't remember the specific book, but on one page, there was a traumatic car accident. Um, which could be objectionable. On another page, there was a poster in someone's back be- like in someone's bedroom that said Black Lives Matter, which promoted critical race theory. And it was like these really small nitpicking type things, but they were always directed at specifically books that had LGBT plus characters in them, or not even not even had like an equitable, like not even had like a like a um. It was really yeah. The only books that we ever had complaints about were those those types of books that had LGBT plus characters. I know that a lot of people um, in our field saw complaints about Toni Morrison books and things similar to that, um, as well as like books like *Kite Runner* and stuff. But at least for *Patmos*, it was entirely um, it was entirely those types of books.
0: You got you got a crash course. You hadn't really fully anticipated it or grasped yet and you were literally at ground zero for it all. So.
2: Yeah. And that was still when I was, that was even prior before I had yeah. my MLIS. So when I, oh, when I started there, I got hired because I had, um, like a graduation date for it and everything. I was in courses for it. What a whirlwind. Um, yeah. But even, yeah, by the time it was interesting too, because by the time that I graduated, I was actually writing. Um, papers and using certain pieces of what my day-to-day work was like as part of like my portfolio mm-hmm. um, or like my like um, defense or whatever. They, it depends where you go to school, what they call it. But that was also an interesting point was that I, I could use that while I was still in school.
1: I remember doing that when I was in school too. So that paper that I wrote on the privacy rights of minors, I was working in Massachusetts at the time, which is a very strict, if you have a library card, even if you are five years old, I cannot tell your guardian what is on that card unless you give me permission. Mm -hmm. Um, And the law is not quite that strict in Michigan. But I think I did a comparative like as like I knew I was coming back to Michigan to work. So I looked up the laws here and did a comparative thing um, and thought. and, And I've been thinking about that a lot in this whole like storm of things, because so often what we hear is like, yeah, those horrible accusations of like, pedophilia that are completely ungrounded and have nothing to do with how that actually works or how grooming actually works. But it co- very much comes from this place of, like, protect the children. And I grew up with friends who the way to protect them was to not tell their parents what they were looking at at the library. Like, they would have gotten in trouble. They might have been in danger. And and it, it wasn't about, like, oh, let their parents protect them. It was like, oh, th- my friends needed to be protected from their parents sometimes. Right. Right. Um, and so it was... It, it was interesting to me, like using um, using some of the stuff that I, I came up against, like in work, uh, in work life and, and applying that in library school stuff. But you have one of the more extreme examples I've heard.
0: Yeah. You know, Matthew, we, I, I always have considered this little podcast that we've been able to do a quasi form of social media as a way for us to reach the patrons that are listening to us. And so we've always been trying to tell them about this, trying to keep them informed so that we can hopefully avoid that scenario where it is just yelling at the board or yelling at the librarian and instead actually hopefully even a dialogue. But it's not so much that we're saying, hey, you patrons out there who already love the library, you should be ready to stand up and fight for us. I think we're more so just asking, do you... Patron out there listening thinks censorship is bad because if you do think it's bad you might want to tune into all of this.
1: Yeah, can we it, interest it, you in? Can we
0: interest in <laughs> you might want to check this out.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm wondering uh Matthew and I imagine that that you've given this plenty of thought because I also got into libraries because it's like, oh, I want to help people and yeah. and in some in sometimes, you know, that means telling the kids where the penguin books are, but also sometimes that means like someone who's having a really bad day like we see adults all the time back Mm -hmm. in in youth too so like maybe being like the one easy thing that happens to someone having a bad day Mm -hmm. or you know maybe trying to be as helpful as possible to someone who doesn't speak English very well or Mm -hmm. something like that and something that's been very difficult for me with this whole like wave of everything is when people are so cruel to library workers and it's like a I am a person you know these are all people you don't get to treat people that way that's like I thought we agreed in kindergarten that wasn't allowed. Uh-huh. Um, but then I, for me, there's this added sting of like, I'm here to help you. And right. like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell you where the books you want are. But right. like, dude, right? you know, this kind of like, I'm here for you. Stop yelling at me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. And you know what, Matthew? We wanted to get on this podcast and say that we appreciate you.
2: Thank you. <laughs> I doing a good job. Doing this.
0: Uh, but, but that is um another thing that we like to say is that like, on well you know not it. it's not uh, librarians need to hear that let's let's face it all, we, all
1: library workers do i think
0: all workers
1: yes all b- yes
0: baristas line cooks where i mean but yep well, here yeah, psa for being just a good human and
1: be nice to people
0: nice to everybody <laughs>
1: that's the psa what
0: we do also tell our patrons uh is you know if you if you do want to do something you you probably and you do support the library you should go tell the board the if the board hears that that's good or show up when that when it's time for that millage and unfortunately uh things went south for patmos even though they've kind of ticked slightly north albeit with a compromise but they were defunded and then five about five months ago their millage was renewed with the stipulation that they Put sort of descriptions all over their books. Yeah, it's and, my
1: understanding yeah. that it's sort of like descriptions content, yeah. but it's fr- it's like pulled from like Amazon,
0: right? And yeah, like, it's, or it's it's
2: something like that. I I should admit I don't um, I don't have a whole lot of content with the people that I worked with there anymore. When but, completely understand. Were you gone? When,
0: when did you When did you switch over? When did you go to Herrick? When did you leave?
2: That would have been
0: ish. Uh,
2: That would have been around june or july of 2022
1: okay okay yeah so it wasn't it wasn't
2: long after um i mean during i was actually fielding the position to be their full-time director at at Patmos at that time um and then this this came up here and i decided that i wanted to go for that but yeah it would have been around um i think my first day here was july of 2022. i think uh
0: it's so, it's so, well, it is literally distressing. It is distressing to even say that that move in and of itself in the heat of that year was the better move simply for your mental health. Yeah. Uh, and I, that any I, library worker would have to, it's just, it's distressing.
2: Ugh. Yeah. And I, I did, it wasn't, I don't want to give the impression that it was so much that they wore me down, but it was, it was a multitude of, um, of other factors i got married um or i got married later that year as well um which played a big part in the like not just looking at um my my finances for myself but i mean it was also there came a point where it was clear that the library no longer had the support of um, either some of the board or some of the members of the board as well as the township board and i think that that was really the kind of the turning point for me was that if it was uh, if it was just some of the patrons that were doing this i think that it it, i would at least hope that it would have had less of an impact on me because it's like i see them once i mean granted that some of those board meetings were honestly like literally traumatic but. They happen infrequently. They happen once a month. Mm -hmm. Um, If I had kind of that support from the township, I think it would have been completely different. But once we started to have the township supervisor, our liaison to the township, um, other members of the township government itself speak out against the library or members of the library board participate in... Kind of these defunding, um, these defunding campaigns. Then it really started to be like this isn't. This isn't even if even if these people stop talking. This is a reflection of a deeper, a deeper rift between the library and the township that isn't something that can just fully fall on my shoulders to repair.
1: Absolutely, and I think that is a great opportunity for a public service announcement to our listeners. Um, find out how your library board is put together in the municipality Mm -hmm. where you live. In Ferndale, we have an elected one. I live in Detroit. We have a banana pants system that makes no sense, Uh Um, but I don't directly elect uh, my home library board. But wherever you are, if you have an elected board, vote in those elections. Run for those elections. Figure to, out
0: Particularly how, if you love the library. Particularly
1: if you love the library. <laughs> um, yeah, if you don't like the library, why are you if listening you to this love podcast? the library. But if you love the library, a lot of boards, the only requirement is you live in the place where the library yeah, that is. Was, right.
2: That was how it was at Patmos, yeah. was that it was, a, it was an elected board. Yeah, and, and you a, just
1: got to live there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's an appointed board, figure out who appoints it and say, hey... The next time you're appointing Mm. people, you know, who's interested in that, because a lot of times it's hard. Like, it's weirdly hard to fill these seats Mm. and you don't want them filled by people who are ready to be loudmouthed about how much they hate the library, the place that they help run. Mm. That is thumbs down from me. And, you know, so and and I completely understand why that was the turning point for you of like, what? Mm. Like, you Mm. know, the people who past the budget have decided that, Complete that this place zone. is is going to be forced to not live up to the whole reason mm-hmm. it exists.
0: Right. <clears throat> uh, and I guess hopefully on a positive note, how are you now, Matthew? How's everything going at Herrick District Library? Much better.
2: I'm glad I'm, I'm to very hear happy. it. Yeah, I'm very happy here.
0: Um, we
2: don't I think I think the there. The, the, I don't want to speculate, but I think that the the size of Patmos made it a much easier target oh, yeah. for certain things like this. Yeah. Um, there was one full-time staff member there, and yeah. it was the director. While well, I was the interim director, I was part-time. I was working 30 hours a week. Um, and then there were about four other staff members there, um, two of which were librarians than the earth. There was a youth services librarian, and then there were um, two other librarians that did kind of each their own section of the library. And then there was just um, people that helped run the desk and helped shelve and everything. And everyone, I mean, everyone that worked there was averaging 20 hours a week. I averaged 20 hours a week when I was there before I was the, the interim director. And I think that just the relative size of the library made it extremely easy to, I mean, one, become really personal when it comes to these attacks, Mm -hmm. um, or when it came to complaints about the library, it became became really, I think that that's probably one of the reasons why it became so ugly, was that it was super easy to single out the people that work there and to really just bully them. Um, The the benefit of here is that we've got a community relations department, we've got a great relationship with our our community as a whole. which is fantastic. I mean, I think that I think that the the makeup of of the library when it comes to that stuff is major too, because I think that it was just it was so easy to it was so easy to strong arm other librarians there um, in just terms of like being harassing um in a way that i don't think is possible at at a larger institution i don't i'm not saying it's impossible i think it's i think it's completely possible and i've seen it um at least at other institutions in our in our country when or in our state i should say when it comes to um more township library relationships but in terms of being able to single out and Come into the library with the explicit reason of picking a fight with someone. It's not. It's not as easy
0: at, at a bigger institution. As As Mary Graham has pointed out, intellectual freedoms covered under the uh, First Amendment. Yeah, that's so a, that's a pretty kind big of a big deal.
1: Part of what it's there for. It's you know uh, we're just
0: yeah, and that was
2: I was shocked at at how little people recognize that.
0: Um, or the, conveniently ignore. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I, I know a,
1: a director uh, who's closer to us here at Ferndale, and she's in the metro Detroit area, and she's had a lot of success with her m- sort of talking to community relations and doing sort of the, the more old-school Republican clubs, like the very, you know, th- when people say, oh, what happened to the party of personal responsibility? Like, these are the people who are who are like, oh, we're the party of personal responsibility. And she would go to them and be like, the First Amendment, like this, is about the First Amendment. Like, do you want the government picking what's on your shelves? Mm-hmm. And and she had a lot of success with them being like, actually, no, we don't. Um, and and then being on the library side. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think Jeff, in a lot of cases, it is just the let's conveniently hmm. ignore that part. And I hadn't, I don't think I had realized exactly how small Patmos was. I knew it was small, yeah. but I didn't realize that it was that small. And I think you're absolutely right that. It does, like, even, you know, Ferndale is not enormous. We have one building and one floor. Right. But we have 25, 30 people on staff now. And you're right. You simply can't come in. And when most folks are in the back office, you can't come in and pick a fight the way that you can when there's four employees. Right. You know? Um, Well, I'm I'm glad that Herrick is treating you well and that you've got, you know, such good community relations. We certainly, so do we here. Um, And I just find that that makes everything easier
0: yeah and we also sincerely appreciate your time and coming on this podcast because mary graham and i've been making these podcasts for a little while and i think we every single episode it, we
1: did a patmos update in like every episode
0: every single episode if not for like a second or two minutes or five minutes we would always just kind of chat about patmos and maybe people listening to this podcast are like okay well secondhand from these two ferned aliens but mm-hmm. it, uh we really appreciate you sharing the experiences to really drive it home distressing uh, as it is. Um, to end on another even positive note, I think anything coming up at Herrick that you're excited about. You got any events over there? What's 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 yeah, going we're on? We're actually Herrick? going through a huge renovation right now. I can we're see some people see. working back there. Yeah, there's folks yeah, in hard well. hats. Whoa! Um,
2: but yeah, that's that's the most exciting thing we've okay. got going on here. We're all really excited for. It. So we've got this space that I'm in right now is as of right now, are only fully enclosed study rooms. So we had three fully enclosed ones. Um, two of them are in the construction zone on the south side of the building. So this zone behind me is the new construction zone. Um, but when we're done here, we're gonna have 10 rooms, pretty similar to this one, um, across this entire section that they're working on behind me. Five of them are gonna have televisions. So we just started getting into renting out like Nintendo Switches and things. Sweet. So we saw a lot of success with those with the fully enclosed study rooms prior to the renovation. People check them out. We had one that had a television in it. Um, And we saw people from literally all walks of life um, in all facets of our community come in, play Mario Golf, Mario Kart, um, just relax, warm up, cool off. Um, That's one thing I'm super excited about. We're moving our our maker space from downstairs to the main floor here. And it's going to be probably about four times bigger um and it's gonna have like a nice open open layout so that people can kind of just walk in, see how everything works. If they know how to use a machine, they can jump on it. If they don't, we can help set them up with one of our coordinators to help get them started on what they want to do. So that's that's super exciting. And that's I think speaks to a lot of like what I love about the library here is that our community, our community, um I don't have the exact stat on me, but I know that more than half of the people at least as of last time i think more than half the people the last time we did these numbers have a library card yes in this area and that's like that's huge yeah and that uh, is huge it's not just huge that we get to see um i mean that we have like that number but i see a lot of people here from either it's um you know homeschools um homeschoolers people that are unhoused, that are just looking for a place to hang out. Um, we have a great outreach community with Community Action House here. Um, they're here five days a week and they help set people up with all sorts of great opportunities. Um, and we just, or just like casual raiders, people looking to do research, people from Hope College coming in to do school work. Like we have such a large, swath of the community use our services and tell us how much they enjoy using them that it's really encouraging when we can do things like this renovation now which is going to get so many more people involved in what we're doing here even what we're doing here outside of the books so like with the makerspace with the study rooms with our library of things um all of that stuff i think it's kind of a two-way street where it's like we we can show off all of the support that we have but people then get to support us even more because they get to use all these cool things
1: that's exactly it that Library is fabulous as a space yeah. Mm. It yeah. can fit
0: so many community connections in this. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. We oh, love it. A new renovation is is so exciting. I was just visiting Boston and got to visit the library I worked at in grad school, which had done a huge reno um, since I've been there last. And so everyone was showing me. They were like, oh, look at this big space we have for story time. Yeah, right. And like, you know, we, we have a we have our own microwave downstairs. You don't have to go all three floors up to the staff lounge. <laughs> um, and uh, and I was saying things like oh, we have a fridge now as I still worked there like you know it's it's renovations are so exciting so congratulations mm-hmm. on that yeah. Yeah. um yeah. and Jeff you know what I'm thinking what field trip to Holland
0: yeah we'll come your way <laughs> yeah when it's all
2: done I we'd love to have you here just, great even even if it's no cameras or anything you just want to see the area we'd love to have it yeah. If you give yeah cross a state solidarity
1: out,
0: well maybe we, we could got here. on our way to Traverse City for MLA we'll make an L shape and we'll just go straight and then up so I don't know. Yeah, anytime.
2: Just give me a heads up. We'd love to have you here. We can show you the behind the scenes if the renovation is still going on. They just got um, yesterday. So the youth service, we, we're three floors here. The youth services department is upstairs. Um, I don't get to see up there during the renovation because it's just not around me. But yesterday they brought in... Um, part of this new youth services area is gonna have like a little fairy garden <gasps> that's carved out of a tree trunk. Yes. So it was, they. I saw them unloaded. It was probably five or six guys lo- like loading this giant tree trunk in here, but it's it's hollowed out. They're gonna put little cool things in it. They're gonna switch it around. We're gonna use the 3D printer to put like different things in it. They're, they're, they're gonna have a great space up there too. It's, there's a lot of exciting things happening here.
1: Jeff, write down that we need a fairy garden. Yes. I'm asking for one at the next staff meeting. I was just going to say. That's amazing. We have a little
2: outdoor one at our our North Branch, but I think this is going to be, it looks really cool. I mean, it's like a straight up like like sculpted um, from like a tree trunk, like sculpted out, hollowed out so that you can put all the stuff in there. It's got little windows on it. So like you can put the things in there, but nobody can like kind of like dig around in it.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. So listener, like think about, how happy we've been in the last five minutes talking about renovations and nice Mm -hmm. community people and go vote for your library millage and work on getting great people on your library board yep. so that librarians can spend more time going, did you know we have a fairy garden and less time going, stop being mean to us about the books, please. Yeah.
0: You so. uh, support the millage and you get a uh, Nintendo switch, makerspace, renovation, fairy garden. Yeah.
1: yeah. And uh nice people who are happy to see you and literally yeah. whose job is to give you a hand. Yeah.
0: Or well, yeah. And
2: that's, yeah, that's like the big part is like, even if you're not going to use, even if you're just going to come in here and use like our computers, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Like
1: that's literally what we're here for. Even if you're like just like here, cause there's a free it, water or, fountain
2: yeah even if it's like the like the lowest like rung of needs like you just need me to tell you where the bathroom is we're glad to have you here like talking to people yeah um it's it doesn't matter if it's like real in-depth stuff or anything it's just like i'm here because i like helping people in whatever form that looks like
1: yep yeah that's it
0: and uh archivists and catalogs catalogers we appreciate you too yes we do Uh, Matthew, thank, thank, you, for your service thank you so I'm much for joining hard. us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, have a good rest of your day. For sure, yeah. We'll keep you posted. Well. And that was our chat with Matthew Lawrence from the Herrick District Library. And we so much appreciate his time and. Anyone else out there who saw us in Kalamazoo, contact us. Uh, We have a simple little email. It's called podcast at FADL.org. Matthew Lawrence says you're no longer with Patmos Library, but what is it, Mary Graham? It's January now? Mm -hmm. Three months ago, at least some good news. uh, Patmos did have their millage renewed, which is crucial. Uh, Admittedly, there were compromises Mm -hmm. made on their behalf, but if the doors stay open...
1: The doors stay open.
0: That's that's at least a bit of good news, because that was something that we did really have to wind up riffing on during our presentation. Again, to reference it was that slippery slope of...
1: Oh, everything you lose if the public library goes away.
0: Everything you could lose if the library's doors are closed. And the reason... I'm even, like, arched up like a, like a scared cat yeah, right Jeff now. like,
1: curled in a ball. The
0: reason, like, the, the word censorship gets me so tense is that slope, slope, slope down to the inevitable conclusion of, oh, your library could go away. Mm-hmm. And something I've been talking to people a lot about more lately as a marketer, thanks also to the insights and energy of Mayor Graham, is that this isn't just the place with books. It's a place.
1: It's a place, <laughs> full not. stop. You can exist in public here without paying for anything. You
0: don't even have to check something out. We don't even care if, well, it would be lovely if you did. We do,
1: we, we do care, you but could also like, you don't have to. could also just come and sit out. And no one's gonna be giving you the stink eye about just like, when are you checking that book out? As out opposed because... to like, when are you gonna <laughs> buy that coffee? Cause you're sitting in a coffee place. You,
0: I mean, again. Full stop, we'd love it if you checked something out, but you could also just bring in your own book and just sit here and read, and no one's going to bother you.
1: If you work remotely, we have really good public Wi Fi. Bring,
0: bring your laptop.
1: I know a couple of people who uh, came here a few weeks ago uh, to work remotely for the day, yeah. and they were like, oh, this ruled Mm -hmm. you can bring your own beverages as long as they are covered
0: the value Um, of the space
1: the value of the space but also i do want to say you know for for someone who's i I do often find myself using the line of like oh it's not just books it is also books and they are free Mm -hmm. like something that i do absolutely adore about libraries is that if you would like us to be dedicated to your entertainment we can be dedicated to your entertainment we have dvds we have books you can check them out completely for free. I have canceled all of my streaming subscriptions, and I now exclusively watch shows and DVDs that I, like movies that I can get on DVD through work. A simple DVD player is 25 to $30.
0: But I could walk up to the desk and say, say, I noticed that you don't carry the 12th season of Doctor Who. Could you order it?
1: I sure can ask many, many of the other libraries yeah. that we are in a consortium with to send a copy right over. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it really is, vast. Um, And uh, one of my favorite things to do on vacation is go to independent bookstores and buy books. And I had a great time. They are also expensive. That is like one of maybe two book shopping trips I've been on this year. Um, But uh, despite the limited book budget, I am able to be very widely read, not just Mm -hmm. because I work here, but because I got the library cards. That's right. So that's right. Yeah.
0: And yeah just uh shout out in general to physical media dvds blu-rays they're still here if you are overwhelmed or even disenchanted by the proliferation of streaming just come browse our shelves you'll feel like you're back at blockbuster uh not sure what you're looking for ask us for a recommendation just but what if what if all that was gone how scary would that be you know just so so stark so troubling uh That'll do it for this current episode of Intellectual Freedoms. Thanks again to Matt Lawrence from the Herrick District Library. And I think just, uh, of course, a shout out to my partner here, Mary Graham. Woo-hoo! A general shout out to all the librarians out there doing the good work.
1: And all the other library workers.
0: All circulation staff, pages, everywhere. All of you. Uh, and shout out to you for listening to another episode of A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, which is brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. That's something you could join. Go to FerndaleFriends.org if you want to find more information. Thanks, of course, to John Duffy for providing us music to open and close each episode. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe and tell your friends about us. So we'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.